0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Andrew Muir is Executive Director of the Wilderness Foundation, an NGO that works to protect and sustain the wilderness and wildlife of South Africa and to provide environmental education and training to its citizens. In a recent conversation with Knowledge at Wharton, Muir talked about how the organization has been able to integrate social programs into its mission, and how its efforts have been impacted by the legacy of apartheid in South Africa. He also discussed the important role that conservation has to play in
1: Africa's economic development.
0: We're here today with Andrew Muir, Executive Director of the Wilderness Foundation. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Great. Well, thank you for having me.
0: Um, First of all, we just want to talk to you a little bit about how did you become interested in this field and how did you initially get connected with the Wilderness Foundation?
1: Well, um, obviously as a young boy growing up, I had a great love for the outdoors. I don't think you can live in Africa and not be moved by the landscapes and the animals, the wildlife. And so that was my initial Attraction, And then as uh, time went on, I also began to realize that perhaps this medium, the, um, uh, the platform of, of wildlife and nature and our, our reserves and, and uh, the protected areas that we have, that it could also be a place where we can bring people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, and perhaps even make a difference to some of the social challenges that uh, we have as a country, a continent, and uh, even as the club.
0: Mm -hmm. And you were mentored by Wilderness Foundation founder Dr. Ian Player for 13 years before taking on the executive director role. What were the most important things that you learned from his example or learned from him?
1: Um, He is an extraordinary human being, and, and I think that the important part about a mentor is to really uh, be prepared to, to to really have a deep and uh, um, honest relationship with your mentee. People seem to uh, not always um, bear in mind that a mentorship is a two-way process, it's not just uh, a one-way process. and. Um, Ian was so easy about it. He, uh, he, he, he was very um, open to bear all and uh, I learned a lot through through areas where he had made mistakes as much as I learned from his greatness. I mean he's one of the world leaders in conservation. He's very much the John Muir of the modern time globally. Um, he saved the white rhino from extinction and yet he has this ability to be incredibly human. So I learned a huge amount through his humanness and uh, uh, that I think uh, tells you a lot about the man hmm
0: Now, what would your advice be? I mean, mentor, finding a mentor seems to be sort of some of the top advice that is given to, I mean, young people, or really anyone today, in terms of getting, getting the career you want or moving forward with the career that you want. I mean, what would your advice be to people in terms of finding the right mentor, finding the right match, and just seeking out people who maybe you would like to mentor you?
1: Well, first of all, all the programs that I've started and have begun, I encourage the mentorship uh, in all the programs that we have. I don't think you can ever be too young or too old uh, to have a mentorship. I think we should see it as a, a value add and as a huge positive and, and a plus. There's just absolutely no negativity in it at all. Um, so, what I would advise with finding a mentor is you really want someone who you uh, have respect for, uh, that's important. It's critical that there's a natural respect between the mentor and mm-hmm. and the mentee. Trust is earned. Uh, you don't necessarily know immediately whether that trust relationship would be there, but I think if you respect the individual, it's it's fairly natural that a trust will follow. Um, and really, the uh, the chemistry that w- exists between th- the two really create the depth of the mentorship and the impact that it will have. Mentors need to have the time. Uh, it is a commitment. Uh, it's not just something you can commit to easily. You, you need to have um, a fairly descriptive um, understanding between the two parties of what the, the process will be, what your goals are going to be, how often you're going to meet. And then before you begin the, the mentorship, both parties need to agree to th- the the commitment, the whole um, facet of a mentorship. It's not a one week process. So I would encourage uh, at least a year commitment by both parties, mm-hmm. and then it can only be a positive um, often life changing event.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, getting back to the Wilderness Foundation, what has been the philosophy? I mean, the group's the mission has really evolved over the years mm-hmm. to you know going from conservation and expanding mm-hmm. to include initiatives related to youth and education programs and leadership programs. I mean, what has been the, the philosophy behind expanding the mission, and how do you see all of these things as kind of fitting together? What are the kind of the through lines that connect everything?
1: Well, I, you know, I just don't believe in the modern world that you can do. Conservation, uh, particularly in Africa, without taking into account all the aspects that are affecting society at the time, um, environment is very about, very much about people, and environment is very much about the human impact on environmental issues. So, if you don't embrace your neighbours to the parks, if you don't embrace your leaders of the future, if you don't, if you don't create custodianship and ambassadors for the parks, for wildlife, for rhino, for whatever it is you're trying to protect. As a so-called game ranger, how do you expect that one's going to uh, protect these natural resources into the future? So that's very much the uh, the philosophy behind the Wilderness Foundation, that we have to be about environment and people, we need to bring the people element in in order to create custodians and ambassadors for the the future, so we need to create programs which are geared at the various interests and affected parties and groups that will enable them to have the best possible understanding and impact with the environment that then would lead back to to what they do, whether they're farmers, whether they're community people living on the outside of these reserves, whether they are politicians or or academics, the programs need to be geared for the target market that you are talking to. But our belief is that it really is uh, this view of reaching out to different leadership groups. Leaders are within your communities, leaders are within your academics, leaders are within your media, your business, your political, and that is what we do. We create programs that reach out to all these different target groups that will give them a personal and direct experience with nature that is relevant to where they come from or what they do that they can then apply back into whatever business or or work that they are involved in. That's how we create a future, I believe, for the environment on this planet. There's no point me talking to the converted. That's easy. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to talk in front of a bunch of greenies. We can you know, have a good whiskey afterwards and we can all talk the same. I think it's another thing, trying to talk to a group that aren't quite sure about this environment a mental thing and about these issues that are facing us, uh, not just as a as a human species, but also as a planet as a whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how does your organization? How do you identify and strategize for the different projects you take on? And then, what kind of measures do you use to determine whether something is to measure success?
1: That's that's a good question, and and I think again, one always needs to with these kind of questions understand the context and the working environment. So within South Africa, it's a very dynamic, moving um, um, picture. We have huge social challenges such as HIV, AIDS. And so obviously the first template with the planning is is we all develop programs around the current issues facing the country because that's where you're going to get traction and that's where you're going to get support the partnership, the funding, and hopefully where where p- people will then take these programs seriously because they can be fairly easily m- mainstreamed. Um, so that immediately means that your planning process uh, uh, has to be fairly dynamic because these issues are evolving the whole time, um, and uh, and and yet fairly generic as. Well, uh, because obviously we're talking to different target markets and groups the whole time around these various issues. So if we take HIV-AIDS as an example, um, AIDS affects everything. Uh, uh, From a conservation perspective, uh, 3% of our workforce uh, in conservation areas in our country die each year due to AIDS. So you can imagine if it takes five years to train a ranger. Uh, uh, In one year, uh, we could lose as a country a substantial portion of that workforce in terms of the training and investment made in it, never mind the social impact and the devastation that uh, that causes on on the ground in the communities and where those people work. So clearly, any impact we can have to A, reduce the number of people being affected uh, with AIDS, uh, th- any impact we can have in reducing the uh, number of people that die, and any impact that we can have in making the communities far more aware of all these processes coming in, only makes conservation a bit off, but also gives them a perspective that we care, because we do, and therefore we don't just care about the wildlife, we don't just care about our natural resources, but we care about all living things, and and this is the messages that we try and give. So within the strategic planning, it's really a holistic approach, and it's really about developing programs that have a meaningful impact on the ground. There's no point developing a program that looks great at a university or great in a book or on a paper. We have to test it, and we need to benchmark it against the realities. Of the situations that we're dealing with,
0: mm-hmm. and can you recall a time when an indiv- when an initiative didn't work well or wasn't working out well, and what did you take away from that, or how did you kind of pivot and restructure it to work differently?
1: Well, uh, I I um, I remember back in uh, 1995, uh, our country was just moving uh, uh, into democracy. We had just had our our elections, we just had the new government in power. But one of the challenges that we had was that, uh, believe it or not, 92% of the population of the country at that time had never been into a park, a reserve, into a natural area. Now that's very hard to believe when you're talking about a country of South Africa that is endowed with natural beauty, but that was one of the legacies of apartheid. There was a piece of legislation which pre- which prevented black South Africans from experiencing large parts of of the country, um, and so we immediately had this legacy issue to deal with. And so one of the programs that we started was a program that would take um, young people up the mountains of you know, Table the Mountain and into these natural. So all, almost create um, black hiking clubs on a mass-based uh, uh, um, process to get as many people safely in and out of, of these natural areas. Um, that was the idea. I had two challenges. First of all, to raise and find a way to get the funding for these kind of programs. And then the second challenge was was how to do it. The mistake I made was that when we designed the program, we thought, well, I'll just find a whole lot of environmental education officers uh, and they would take these uh, young people into the mountain. Where I made the mistake was that, that, that I was dealing still with the legacy of apartheid and a lot of these black youth did not want to go with white men or white women uh, who were the trained environmental edu- education officers. So I then had to change the whole thinking and planning around the program and the solution that we found is we created a volunteer youth leadership program where we trained youth leaders from the very townships to be the guides so we actually gave them guide training we taught them how to guide and then we made the program their program and they then guided tens of thousands of youth over the years up table mountain in this instance so it's it's a program that still operates still works but is led by black youth volunteers for black youth from the townships very strong peer mentorship very strong you can just imagine that the teaching and the impact is so powerful because the youth can identify with the teachers and the medium so there's an example of a problem and and hopefully a solution which has worked
0: Mm. now how has I mean how have like issues related to apartheid I mean how has that the way that they have impacted various programs that you do I mean how has that evolved over the years like I mean obviously they haven't gone it hasn't gone away but I would think that you know as you said the time but the time goes on that it sort of evolves in the way that it impacts the country and impacts individual people and individual programs so I mean have you have you seen that or
1: yeah I think I think you know it's really um, related to uh this um, uh, the people being able to really see the program for what it is or see the impact that you're trying to give for what it is, see the genuineness of what it is that you're trying to do mm-hmm. um and 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 then bind in to that I mean I think to use a analogy i mean in in America you know the, the it's quite obvious that the Civil War, though it was, you know, a long, long, long time ago, there's still exactly. residual. Um, apartheid, that residual, will be around for generations and generations to come, and rightly so. And you know, we must never forget what happened, never, ever. And so we need to have that, but at the same time, we need to develop programs that people can see that they are genuine, they can impact on them, they can be part of them, they see it for what it is. It's when you hide things, or when you try and uh, create programs without communicating what it is that you're trying to achieve. That's when I think some of the legacies of the past come on, why are you hiding this? Why are you not telling Mm -hmm. us the whole thing? Why Why are you keeping this or keeping that? So it's just being transparent. Uh, in what you do, and people see that and they accept that. I think also in the South African story um, there are now millions and millions of young South Africans who we call the born freeze, including my two children. They were born in an area where there was no apartheid. They were born post uh, post post-94 and um, millions Um, I think about six million of them will have the opportunity to now vote for the first time, vote as the first population group or or group that can vote in a time when when they weren't born in apartheid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's gonna have a very powerful dynamic on the future. So we are talking to more educated people that are more aware um, and I think it's really about transparency, about being open, uh, and about ensuring that they buy into th- the process.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, Africa as a continent is really, I mean, and then in South Africa certainly as a country, I mean, is undergoing a, real, a period of you know, dramatic growth and economic development. I mean, what types of opportunities do you feel like that presents both for the region and for the Wilderness Foundation, but also, I mean, what about the challenges related to that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, with every opportunity, of course, there are the challenges. So, I mean, I think, I think the opportunities are immense. Uh, the, the opportunity in oil and gas um, exploration, I think some of the greatest uh, um, gas and oil fields in the last decade have been found uh, in and around Africa. Uh, uh, the mineral um, and natural resource opportunity is huge. Uh, the IT uh, uh, um, and mobile communic- communications is equally um, uh, a massive industry that's growing. Um, the networking opportunities. So those are all the positives. I mean, I think Africa's had an average economic growth of 5% in the last uh, 10 years. I mean, you know, th- those are all very impressive numbers. The problem is that, that, uh, that we still have a very high level of um, educational challenges throughout Africa. We still have high levels of poverty and unemployment. Uh, we still uh, have issues with that natural resource exploration. It's uh, you know uh, uh, we need to make sure that the policies and the laws and the rule of law is adhered to in terms of environmental legislation and ensuring that that exploration, happens in a in as sustainable way as one can have. So I think we must not make the mistakes that, if I may say, the countries like China have made, where they've got huge uh, environmental and ecological issues that they're only now beginning to, to address. Um, and we must not, as Africa, make that same mistake, where we go so fast in our economic growth that we forget to do what is right by the environment at the same time as um, as, as, as find the uh, economic opportunities for employment and growth. So the role of the Wilderness Foundation uh, as a Africa-wide NGO is really to, to be that voice, hopefully, of reason to really help to guide the governments, to guide uh, companies and corporates and to build up a, um, a core of the people who have that environmental under- understanding and that can help to apply that as we keep going through this, um, this area of, of tremendous growth and opportunity for Africa. We must remember that climate change and global warming, uh, it's going to and is probably going to affect Africa, uh, 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 probably one of the worst of all the continents. And so that all also needs to be bear, borne in mind as we're going through this huge this huge period of growth. So the role of civil society is critical in the future democratic process of Africa as a whole and also in terms of the future of Africa as a positive turnaround um, story. We need civil society to be strong on all those areas of human rights, of poverty alleviation, of environmental concern, of a sustainable practice. That needs to come into the picture more and more. And it's through the international pressure, hopefully, that that will happen.
0: Mm -hmm. And now getting back to um, leadership questions, I mean, what has been your toughest leadership challenge and how have you solved it?
1: Um... Well, I need to uh, look. I think I think we you, you are a leader because you're there to deal with th- the tough issues. Uh, uh, you know, the easy stuff tends to get handled by other uh, people. You get the tough questions and the challenges. I think a large uh, portion of of leadership is dealing with the people and sort of hu- human resource related issues uh, particularly in ngos where we don't have the luxuries of of having dedicated hr directors and and support the chief executives often plays plays um a a large role within the non-governmental field in those kind of issues but also you deal with a lot of the risk um you deal with a lot of the financial pressures and the and the uh opportunities I guess the, the, um, the toughest t- 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 decisions I've had to take as a CEO is, is see the landscape of our country changing, um, uh, realize that social and environmental issues cannot be separated, realize that historically I've inherited a conservation organization, not a social organization realize to have a future for this organization, I need to embed strong social philosophy and programs in the organization, and then convince everyone ar- ar- around me that this is the right thing to do, and then l- lead the way in implementing it.
0: Not, not hard at all.
1: No, <laughs> just a day's work. Right.
0: <laughs> and what would your advice be to somebody who, a young person or anybody that really wants to enter this field?
1: Um, it's a wonderful field to enter because really what you are entering is is really um, uh, part of 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 I think the most noble cause that you can be working for and that is for for a holistic approach to our planet Earth um, to to really ensure that that within all the challenges that our society and that uh, businesses have going forward that a voice and advocacy and a sort of um, strong proactive um, approach to environmental social and the interface between the two with a business it's an exciting field to be part of of that and to really be an ambassador for that but one needs to be holistic one needs to be open one can't be closed. One has to be able to communicate and and be able to embrace and be able to take on th- the chin things that perhaps you don't like and and you don't like to hear. But you've got to think of the greater uh, good. And I mean, I think our job right now is is we are at a period of our history as humankind where where we under great threat and the threat that we're under is of our own making. Yeah, we are one of 13 million odd species that make up the earth, uh, and yet uh, in the past 150 years, the impact that we've had on those other th- 13 million species is such that within the next 40 years, 20% of them could be extinct. Mm-hmm. And, but the question we need to ask is if that does happen, and there's a strong likelihood that it is going to happen, what does that mean for us? What does it mean when those species that we rely on in ways that we can't even quantify now, when a fifth of them no longer exist? Because that is biodiversity. That is our life support system. So when a fifth of that life support system no longer exists, What does that mean for us? And I would like to see that as a positive challenge for people entering this field, is to find ways to get people to understand and start doing something about it now.
0: Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Great. Thank you very much.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.